world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. All you lovely friends, we have another significant episode in our Risharian series. Understanding the world of the Stormlight Archive is important because obviously the Stormlight Archive is important. It ties it all together. And one of the things that is working in the background, always there, always providing a little bit of mystery, a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of danger, Mm. are the secret societies, the secret organizations that exist across Rashar. Yeah. And as we continue on through the Stormlight Archive and we kind of get more and more of these secret organizations, I don't know about you, but I... Sometimes have a hard time keeping them all straight. Like, what do they all want? Are they, you know, compatible? Do they have similar goals? Do they have opposite goals? Which one is which again? And so this episode, I think, is going to be a really great resource for us to come back to and just remember the key points about these groups that I think are only going to become more and more important to the series as we continue on. As is the tradition here, we want a one-stop shop where you can Listen in sometime in the future and have all the secret organizations explained for you. There is, and I want to give a shout out to Tor, the publisher for Brandon's works. They have also seen this need existing and last year made a quick sheet. Oh, that's great. The secret organizations, some but not all of which we are going to go over today. Okay, cool. There is also a 2014 Word of Brandon. So that's kind of old. Take it with a grain of salt. But in 2014, Word of Brandon stated that there are currently nine secret societies working on Rashar. We do not have them all listed in our episode today. We may not even have them all named yet in the series, I couldn't think of any more than this, but we've got a good start, and then maybe we can do some speculation about what the other societies might be. We love the crazy speculation here. Coming up on this episode, we have six, and I think there are even some subcategories, If you, depending on how you divided it out. True. We might get up to nine, but... You, the listener, you can hit us up on all of the different social medias and let us know if we missed any of the important nine secret societies. It would be noteworthy if there were exactly nine. It would be noteworthy if there were nine. I don't know if that's changed at all since 2014. It's a long time ago. But yeah. Okay, let's dive right in. Let's start with the diagram. Probably the secret organization that was most clear and upfront yeah. from the way of kings on yeah. and driving the mystery behind Teravangi and the leader of the diagram which is both the document or or series of notes that he creates that's the diagram but it's also the overall group name yes and the goal of the group is simply to understand and to carry out the instructions of the document, the diagram by Teravangian. That's 
their goal. So within that, there are sort of a bunch of sub goals as they try to execute the various different instructions within that document. Um, but that's sort of their uniting principle. I like your description of the goal because Teravangian's description may have been far more, well, benevolent to Teravangian. <laughs> I think they would describe their goal as a group, as a secret organization, to save humanity, to save the people of Rashar. And that is the overall goal from their perspective. But I think what you said about following the interpretation of Teravangian and following the leadership of Teravangian is like practically what they're actually doing. Yeah. Well, and I think they're is a difference between wanting to follow Teravangian and wanting to follow the diagram. Because uh, as we'll get into, there are actually offshoots of this group mm -hmm. who are just following the document who may not be like super closely tied to Teravangian. There is a group of people directly around Teravangian, which includes Adratasia, his mm -hmm. longtime friend, and then Moral and Mabin, who both serve as guard and kind of like aid, sometimes like cleaner, uh, that maybe uh, is performing like organizational roles. Is he also the one that tests Teravangian? Or that might be like an ardent or something. But there's a whole group of close, close associates, associates of yes. Teravangians who perform all of the day-to-day -day functions. They're sort of his retinue, so to speak. They devise the test for him each day. They judge the test and then they permit or restrict his actions as they deem necessary. So those are sort of all of the highest level diagram members. And then you have a subcategory who are clearly working to benefit the group, the diagram, known as the Silent Gatherers. And we would better know these people as the ones who take note of the death rattles. Yes, and purposefully kill people, but, Yeah, you not know. a great part. So <laughs> this is the bad side of the diagram. If we were going to assign morality to each of these groups, this is probably a mark in the negative column for <laughs> yeah. the diagram. Uh, they do bring people to kill them to invoke the death rattles. Exactly. They're not just, like, writing them down. So that's a whole group of people that I think gives us a little bit of an inkling as to how expansive and how big this group is. We mostly see that tight-knit group of Teravangian's aides, but I think we need to remember that there are a bunch of other, maybe more like casual diagram fans <laughs> who are out in the world doing the diagram work, doing significant things like killing hundreds of people. I think that is a really important aspect because there's another word that we could use here, I guess, that we're kind of specifically avoiding, but the concept of a cult and which mm. of these groups or organizations is a cult or is pushing towards a cult or is adopting more extreme cult-like behaviors and I think that's a interesting question because we're going to see different motivations for different groups of people. One clear aspect of the diagram that lines up with a cult is the charismatic leader and the mm. single individual that is like yeah. motivating people. And therefore, it is noteworthy 
with the offshoots that we have to the diagram because seemingly you have the diagram created by this great Teravangian, a really important cult-like leader, but it allows for the Graves conspiracy. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think this is something that's really interesting about the diagram as a group and is something that I think sets it apart from being a cult because it doesn't insist on conformity necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much like anyone can come and read this document, the diagram, and if you feel called to execute the instructions of the diagram in a different way from Taravangian's inner circle, go for it. Because the thing that unites them all is, again, trying to execute the instructions of the diagram. So a win for anyone is a win for everyone if it is following that document. Which brings us to Graves's conspiracy. We, of course, see this through Kaladin's eyes. This is the offshoot that he interacts with who is trying to kill Elokar. They believe that in order to execute the diagram, they need to ally themselves with Dalinar. And that in order to do that, they have to make Dalinar king and Elokar needs to die. That's their interpretation of what the diagram says. And so they've sort of gone off on their own quest, so to speak. Teravangian did not believe that Elokar needed to be killed necessarily, but this is the belief of one portion of the diagram. And I believe the disagreement is actually more fundamental. You had a branch one way for the diagram led by Teravangian, which is Dalinar needs to die at the hands of Odium in probably that scene at Thalen Fields. Like that is Dalinar's Well, I think there's destiny. a shift. I think that for a while, Teravangian really does believe that he can ally with Dalinar. And then at some point he sees that that's not going to happen. And then he switches to believing that Dalinar then just needs to be killed. Exactly. So that is, to me, the breaking point is to go from Teravangian and being Graves from Grave Mm, perspective, mm -hmm. hearing Teravangian say like, okay, we're going to partner with Dalinar. This is for the benefit of all mankind. And this is how we're going to save Rashar to Dalinar needs to die. And wherever that shift happened, even if it didn't happen like perfectly, it seems the ability for that shift to exist is a flaw in the accuracy of the diagram. As we've talked about before, the diagram falls into the trap of like confirmation bias. And because it is so open to interpretation, you can read into it whatever you want to. Uh, And that does present some problems. I definitely think it presents the problems and Graves having the completely different idea, reading the diagram and interpreting that Dalinar needs to be exalted and lifted up. And that's the best way for human. Those are opposite things. They're just like they're not connected anymore. So the offshoot has to either be squashed entirely because Graves would be acting contrary to the diagram. And so I think that's an interesting idea to keep in the back of our mind as we go forward and maybe 
It yeah. makes me wonder what other offshoots are out there. I feel like there has be to the be some. One. Yeah, because like you're saying, in a situation that is so open to interpretation, that is so permissive of mm-hmm. its members taking their own interpretations, like there's got to be a bunch of other maybe individuals, but maybe also small groups like Graves's group that have different ideas. And I'm just so curious about like, where are they? What are they doing potentially? That's a great point. And if we will see them reincorporated back into the story in either minor or major ways, because the diagram is an example of some type of great document for these people and on their planet. You know, it's akin to fortune telling, but we don't believe it's actually using fortune because of a word of Brandon. And I think that that amount of power, like you could take any single sentence from the diagram and you could build a whole religion around it because it's, you know, going to be true or is highly accurate or is an important statement. And so that religious connotation and the, you know, importance and significance of someone saying, I can predict the future. This is what's going to happen. And we need to take these actions. It's powerful. What I would like for us to keep in mind is like, what's the difference between a group or an organization, a cult, a religion? All of these things are intermingling in an incredibly intricate way in the Stormlight Archive. The diagram, however, is kind of no longer functioning because at the end of Rhythm of War, the diagram kind of disbands before he ascends to Odium, he tells his close circle, his group of followers, that any members who know too much about the diagram and their plans should scatter and sort of go on their own individual quests in faraway locations so that they can't be found or tracked or anything like that. So he's he's scattered them to the winds and there's not too much of a central organizing Mm -hmm. body of the diagram at present. And that's a really interesting dichotomy because clearly Taravangian has ascended to the most powerful position. He's literally, you know, went from being kind of like a cult leader to I'm one of the gods now. Exactly. (laughs) So he's like as good as a cult could hope for. Like it they legitimately became God in the search of their diagram, in, in pursuit of whatever they were seeking, they became a god and either in the setup knowing this not knowing this guessing but he like sends them away is the opposite of what i would think would happen you know the stronger the pull around the single individual well at the time he wasn't sure what his fate was going to be it was so up in the air and it could have like gone any direction and so i find and they all think he is dead right like no one else knows in world yeah teravangian is dead from yeah. everybody's understanding. Is there anyone except for Zeth, maybe, who knows? No. Okay. Yeah. And so at any time, I would think that Teravodium has the potential to, you know, tug on some heartstrings. Of sure. Like he members. already has built in mm-hmm. agents. And now they're scattered all across the world yeah. right where he wants them mm-hmm. to be able to use them later. That's a great point. So the diagram, not really together, but also not out of a position of danger. Let's go on to maybe the second most explored of the secret organizations, the Ghostbloods. 
The Ghost Bloods is seemingly a much bigger organization. It spans multiple planets in the Cosmere, and they seem to have a lot of different goals that maybe all go together in some way, but also maybe are all separate because it's a much more eclectic group in the Ghost Bloods. That's a really good way to put it. And now that we know, hashtag all spoilers, that Thydekar is one of or the central leader behind the Ghost Bloods, that actually makes sense because what do we know about precursor to Thydekar? Kelsier, he was great at putting together teams letting people use their strengths to support the overall group, but maybe not I don't think it's quite like that, though. Whereas Kelsier was putting together a group with different skills Mm -hmm. to all go towards a common goal, it strikes me that the Ghostbloods are more of a group of individuals that each have their own self-serving reason for being a part of the group. Like, I don't know that they're necessarily working super collaboratively together. We get a lot of sentences from Mraes about how dangerous the group is, even Mm -hmm. to their own members, and they are not above stabbing their own members in the back. Oh, certainly. I mean, the big risk for Shalon early was that she could be killed by anyone, any member. Yeah, because she wasn't a part of the group yet. Exactly. And, and then so now that she's left the group, she's gotten the same threat of like, Marie's is like, I can't you. protect you. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you're fair game for anyone now. I completely agree with what you're talking about because I think the difference between what Kelsier was dealing with and what Thydekar is dealing with is the difference between team leadership and organization leadership. Yeah, totally. And basically, as the team lead, he was able to interact with single individuals, helping them move towards the common goal, take down the Lord Ruler. And as the organizational lead of the Ghostbloods, he had to go out without being able to go out (laughs) and find existing groups or existing networks of people that were willing to do something that was in the same direction as what Thydekar Kelsier wanted. Not necessarily that they're all perfectly united in a motivation sense. It's just like, are we going in the same way? You know, and we can like move together as a flock type of thing. Yeah, I think they each have their own uh, personal goals. And it may be that their personal goals align in a way that is mutually beneficial. For example, I think the Risharian group of Ghostbloods is far more interested in what's happening on Rishar than Thydekar is specifically. You know, I, I right. don't think that yeah. the motivation that Thydekar has is exactly the same as what Marais has when it comes to Rishar. Yeah. Like, Marais is looking for that Cosmere economic pipeline Mm -hmm. and Thydekar is okay with that because it means that he will get what he's looking for which is the key to unlocking his cognitive (laughs) shadowness he wants the key to unlock his cognitive shadowness that's yeah wonderful an excellent (laughs) description we do definitely have this concept of economic control specifically over stormlight 
And we've speculated a ton about that. I don't want to dive too deep into what that could mean. But then in pursuit of that goal, tangentially, they also want to be able to control the Oath Gates and to find all of the perfect gemstones on Rashar. Those are things that are going to enable them to do this exportation of Stormlight. So they have a bunch of disparate goals that are sort of all going together into the pursuit of a larger goal. And the Thalen people as bankers have been collecting perfect gemstones or near perfect gemstones for seemingly decades or even generations. But Yasna says that even all of the perfect gemstones that they have, like, doesn't Doesn't account for all Mm -hmm. of them. Yes. And I think that that is probably hinting at some, you know, vast store of gemstones. Yeah, either, you know, maybe they're hidden with, like, the Eerie or the Eeriali, like, something like that, or... The Amians. The Ghostbloods have them. Yes. Right? There's all like, these questions. They might already have a bunch. And along with those aspects of control, they want to find and seemingly understand the power of Ba'edo Mishram. Yeah. We don't fully understand what exactly they want with this unmade, but we know that they are looking for her. Obviously, they're also trying to capture and or kill the Heralds to find a solution to Thydekar's problem to unlock that cognitive shadowness. And we see an interest in the other unmade, Ja'ana, who is able to make and unmake the Spren. I find their fascination and interest in the unmade to be of importance and focus definitely and we have lots of speculation on what the unmade are but for the ghost blood specifically i think that baedo mishram's triggering of a false desolation Mm -hmm. and the imprisonment that Mm -hmm. collect says we probably messed up and went too far in regards to that i think both of those things in connection like when we fully understand those that's the big secret of like what is going on with the false desolation and what is going on with Baedo Mishram's imprisonment or maybe any of these imprisonments yeah her ability to connect in the large way that she did before the desolation I think could be a point of interest for the ghost bloods and then also the way that she is contained in the gemstone. That one is the one that makes the most sense to me. I don't fully understand what they are wanting with Ja'anat or the enlightened Spren other than gaining power in a way that is maybe less restrictive mm-hmm. than the regular radiant powers. We don't know too much about the enlightened Spren or their bonds yet, so it's hard to say exactly what that's about. Here's what I would go out into my crazy corner and speculate there could be a connection between the unmade presenting a path through power or or to power that avoids the restrictions that Mm. you were talking Mm -hmm. about and basically like if you have an unmade like Ba'edo Mishram and an unmade like Ja'ana you might have a power to corrupt or influence Spren 
and a power to connect to all the spren across Rashar simultaneously, like a big gigantic satellite hmm. device is what Ba Edo Mishriam acts. And then Ja'ana is your command line function, you know, what you're sending out, basically. And then you could have a large impact on maybe many, many different types of spren or the entire cognitive realm. Maybe. That's heavy speculation. Doesn't mean anything at all. <laughs> Let's stay focused on the ghost bloods because they do have a shown and demonstrated hierarchy and structure. Yeah, they're very hierarchical. We don't know for sure that Thydakar is the tippy top member. He is above everyone that we've seen so far. But I don't want to rule out the possibility that this organization is even larger than we see it right now. Because as important as we find Kelsier, as significant as he is to the Cosmere and Brandon Sanderson's writing, we do have to remember that on the time scale, even looking at the most advanced books, which are Mistborn Era 2 in the timeline, that's still a lifespan of only 300, 350 years tops that Kelsier can exist. And the Rosharians have been doing these battles for thousands upon thousands of years. Yeah. So like Kelsier is a tiny sliver of what could be these long organizations on Rashar. So I definitely don't know if he's the tippy top of the spear. Yeah. But he's definitely convinced us so far that he is. <laughs> his branch is the branch that we've seen the most of mm -hmm. so we have Thydakar is the master of Ayatel uh, who is the woman with the southern Skadrian mask and then she is the master of Mraes and then obviously Mraes has a bunch of Padawans underneath him. What is interesting to note is that Vale Shalon is not the first Devar that Marais has been right. in control over. Exactly. Like we talked about a little bit in our episode about who Shallan's mom might be, her father, Lynn Devar, and his steward, Luesh, are both members of the Ghostbloods. They're members enough that they have the tattoos. And then Shallan as Vale also becomes a member for a time. Don't forget also that her first crush, Capsule, is a ghost blood agent. Yes, and his job, his duty was to assassinate Yasna, Shalon getting caught up in a jam of deliciousness. <laughs> but that puts the ghost bloods into this category, and we were kind of introduced to them as the secret organization that was also mixing in assassinations. Yeah. Kind of like assassins for hire. Definitely had that classic fantasy trope vibe of the secret order who was sending out assassins and then our girl Shalon was going to go infiltrate them. And instead of that classic nature, we get kind of this amorphous blob. Every time I try to describe it and label mm -hmm. it, it shifts into something else. Uh, maybe not unlike the blood of which their name comes. Ghost blood just shifting around <laughs> all the time. Is it liquid? Is it ghosty material? <laughs> Nobody knows. We also know that there is an unnamed Sleepless who is part of the Ghost Bloods, and this is the Sleepless that we find out was spying on Hoyd in the form of a Kremlin pen. 
So weird. And you mentioned the tattoos earlier. This is when we're coming into our question of is it a cult or not? We have the charismatic leader. I think it's more of a gang. You interesting. I like that. But the tattoo is, you know, interesting of note. A little branding is always good for cults. I mean, but also good for gangs. Yeah, a gang tattoo. Totally understand. They're like, we want to know that you're with us, but it's not, it's just not as, there's not enough conformity for it to be a cult. Like I said, I think it's more of a, a loose association of people who are, have their own aims and they might use other members to achieve their goals, but like they're not in it for the warm fuzzies of being a group. Yeah. And they're also not seemingly that secret. Like, these, yeah. <laughs> this symbol is pretty obvious. Like, Luesh is wearing it as a pendant. A capsule has it tattooed on, like, the inside of his arm, which is not, you know, the outside or the hand. But it's also not that hidden. You know, this well, isn't he is a an ardent. Symbol. He's not rolling up his sleeves very much. I guess that's true. Yeah. He's often shirted. Exactly. Definitely not exposing that safe hand unnecessarily. <laughs> keeping the sleeves extra long. But I do think that it's, you know... A little bit interesting of note that a how secret are they? Yeah, are they it is interesting like, that we they're don't need to be secret. They're cool. okay with having their brand name out there a little bit. Yeah, and because I think like people kind of know about it. A little they bit. sort of traffic on their reputation, exactly. Right, okay, like so that's what I think is because how kind of powerful different. is your secret society if like people don't know about it? You have to be yes. able to roll up your sleeve and be like. I'm going to kill you and I'm going to show you why. Like the Death Eaters in Harry Potter, they got the, you know, big snake tattoo. And that's in part to scare other people because like, you know, what's going to come. Right. It's like, you don't need to really threaten people. All you have to do is show your tattoo and Mm -hmm. they know what it means. That's a shorthand for your power. What would the diagram do for that? You know, just open a book and be like, these words are very nice. They're pretty. No, I think this is actually a really good call because there is an aspect of gangs all across the world dating back throughout history of needing to declare yourself right as part of like public protection so like we we hold down this block or these couple of blocks and, and I think if you cross it's like a show of respect that's the whole sure reds versus blues and it's just like a simple sign of like i'm in red territory i'm in blue territory and what that means i i love the concept of the ghost bloods mainly a gang <laughs> Yes. And I think that sort of symbolism becomes even more important when you are more of a loose collection of personally motivated individuals, because you have to be able to show each other like, hey, I'm a ghost blood. Oh, I'm a ghost blood, too. Okay, go about your business. I won't interfere with whatever Mm -hmm. thing you have going if you happen to meet another member in the wild. Yes. You're not necessarily all organized to be going in the same direction on the same mission i don't want to get too off track but my whole brain is just like broken open with the, <laughs> now i'm seeing a sons of anarchy but it's the ghost bloods on rashar yes they're a motorcycle gang yes they have their cool little patches there's a couple of people who are going to be like they are not called patches you cannot say that let's talk a little bit about their gang adversaries they seem to have quite a few confrontational uh, relationships, in particular with the Sons of Honor. They have either assassinated or attempted to assassinate a lot of Sons of Honor members. I would say that's their number one gang rival. 
if the ghost bloods are the ghost bloods, then these are the crypts on the other side with the Sons of Honor. We're going to hold off on the question of have the Sons of Honor also been assassinating in return? Is it a back and forth type of thing? Because this is really the driving motivation. I mean, even Gavilar's death is assumed to be the action of the Ghostbloods by Gavilar. Yeah he, yeah, he speculates that it might be the Ghostbloods trying to kill him. My thought about why these two groups are so antagonistic towards each other is maybe because the Ghostbloods are trying to get answers from the Heralds and the Sons of Honor also have an interest in the Heralds, which we will get to. Yeah, kind of a one wants them to go up, the other wants them to come down, and both cannot exist simultaneously. Exactly. Recently, Brandon was asked about the Ghostbloods with the questioner saying, quote, have we seen Ghostbloods in action outside of the Risharian system? Brandon said, you have seen proto-Ghostbloods, but not after their actual initiation. So we've seen, you know, Ghostblood acolytes, essentially. Yeah, acolytes, but beforehand. So I am... Yeah, acolytes. They have not become full Ghostbloods yet. They're like Shalon... In the early days. Of course. When Mraze is like... You have to know where you're going, right? It's like a Padawan can't exist if there's no Jedi Order, because then you're just a kid with a lightsaber. Well, he just says not after their initiation. Mm -hmm. So they might still, you know, be in their hazing period. An unfortunate ritual that goes on in all societies. So do you think that we can then confirm that the Ghostbloods are world hoppers or once they get to rashar and like actually become part of the ghost bloods for real Hmm. are they allowed to leave yeah well i mean i guess on the most basic and least exciting level he might just be referring to kelsier right like we've seen kelsier Mm -hmm. outside of the rasharan system before he was initiated into the ghost bloods yes i think that's a good point for sure could be a likely answer. I think that the fact that Thydekar is in the Ghost Bloods, Ayatil is in the Ghost Bloods as a Southern Skadrian ethnically and Silverlight person by birth who is now on Rashar. Like, I think those facts enable us to say that this group is definitely Cosmere wide. Mm hmm. As far as how many other ghost bloods like we've seen so far, I don't feel like I could really say that. Reddit user Joelman had this to say, while I might be a little late to the party, I think I've made a connection about something. Is there a possibility that the word ghost might refer to cognitive shadows, but the concept of ghost blood being a translation of a Skadrian word that means the same thing. A very famous word, mistborn. Does ghost blood equal mistborn? Thoughts? It's an interesting thought. I see where this person is going. Ghosts are sort of misty in that ephemeral type of way. Blood sort of connoting something that you're born with, Mm -hmm. something natural or innate. So I I get the parallel. I like it. I don't know if I am completely convinced, 
but it's an intriguing idea. I will at least float that this introduces another weird concept that we need to keep in mind about do you have to be born with some aspect, some genetic marker, some spiritual DNA in order to be part of the Ghost Bloods or any of these other groups? Oh, no. You hard no. Just yeah, like, hard no. Interesting. Because a misborn, that's the whole thing. Is like not everybody's misborn, and like only special people are misborn. Right. And- I mean, to me, the thought would be that it started as a group of misborn who were world hopping. Mm, okay. They, you know, said that to someone. It was translated, and then the group was called the Ghost Bloods. And then over many, many, many years, the group changed and evolved to become the ghost bloods that we now know that is just still carrying this name totally cool should we jump over to the main rival the sons of honor oh yeah while the ghost bloods had a bigger picture seemingly in mind and the cosmere economy as a whole as one of their driving goals the sons of honor seem to be very Risharian based. Oh, yeah. They are fully Risharian. Their whole goal is to return the prominence of the Voran church. And in order to do that, they want to bring back either the Desolations or the Voidbringers or both. It's like a chicken and egg thing. They're like, we don't know which one comes first, so we'll try both. (laughs) And the point of doing that is to return the Heralds again, to return prominence to the church. So they also have like kind of a lot of goals that are going in the same direction. But this is where I start to get like confused in my brain of like, what are they trying to do again? What's the point? (laughs) I agree. And especially when it's then put in context of characters that were maybe only seen for a page or a couple of pages. Yeah, because sometimes books. The characters are focused on only one aspect of this, mm-hmm. right? Like this might be the the big goal of the full organization, but as an individual, your focus might really be on, okay, let's bring back the desolations. And then in the back of your mind, it's like, because the desolations will bring the heralds and the heralds will bring the Voran church. But we don't necessarily see that on the page. And so to my brain, we're like getting all this conflicting information and I'm like, do you want the heralds or do you want the Voidbringers? Like, what? And the answer is both. Both. <laughs> Incredibly confusing, but also a good example of a secret organization. Not everybody needs to know every little aspect. Your job over there, sir or madam, is to <laughs> start the desolation. Make that happen. I don't care what you do, what you need to invoke. Start the desolation. That's what you need to know is good for the group. I don't think everybody's getting like a full memo every day about what's happening with the Sons of Honor. Yeah, they have seemingly the most chaotic Mm -hmm. uh, organization of the groups. They could either really benefit from Slack or Slack would be terrible for (laughs) them. They'd all go off in little silos. I think Slack would be good for them. I would hope so. It would really help them coordinate their efforts, but they would just need to make sure they had a version of Slack that could communicate between the cognitive realm and the physical realm. So one more time. They want the Voren Church back to its proper prominence. And part of what that means is the heralds are fully empowered and fully right. realized. Yes. And the people honor the heralds and the heralds are leading people. And the best way that they know of 
jumpstarting the heralds, you know, waking them up from their eternal slumber, which is actually torture, and I'm guessing they have to be awake for it, is to start the desolation. So they like had a good goal, I guess, you know, wanting yeah. your gods. They're like, your we figured it out. Yeah, exactly. Mankind needs direction. Who can mm-hmm. give us direction? Heralds. The heralds. We know that the heralds come back when the void bringers are here. So we get the void bringers, we get the heralds. I'm seeing the logic here. It might get a little bit Thanosy for me. You know, a little bit of just like, hmm, let's start the end times so that maybe yeah. some of things us will be saved. better. Yeah. I'm, and I am not totally convinced that it's like a we think this will be better thing, but it's just like a I want power thing. And it's like, yes. who can I attach myself to that will help me get power? And what we know as readers that the heralds are significantly broken individuals because of the torture that they have endured, that is actually even more horrific because now they are trying to gain power by using a person or a group of people that is incredibly weak and abused. And they're like... Not that they know this, to be fair. They don't know it fully. And... It kind of goes the other way, too. All of this gets even more messy when you realize that the Sons of Honor is being led by Rasteris, who is, spoiler alert, the Herald Kalak. So Kalak is kind of using the humans. He's trying to use them to, like, find a way again to get out of the Rasharan system. And then they are using the group to use the Heralds to get power, It's really messy. I feel like no one really knows what's going on in the Sons of Honor. That's a great point because where both the Diagram and the Ghostbloods did seem like that charismatic leader was giving them some direction. Yeah, like they seem like they at least understand the way things work. And here we have a leader who we also know is suffering from a magical malady that's driving him insane. Yeah, like not only is he a little bit crazy, but he is also like out of the country. You know, like <laughs> he's in the cognitive realm. I don't think that he's doing a great job of like being the boss of the organization when he's really not present for anything that's happening. Again, Slack would be very helpful. He could at least be tapped into the day to day. It would help him connect with a couple of his key members, maybe before their unfortunate deaths. <laughs> at the hands yeah, of also they all die. Like this organization Slack is would have a helped mess. them not get assassinated. <laughs> Just to be clear, we are not getting paid by Slack. This is not an advertisement. We do not have Slack among ourselves. But if you were Papa Daddy Rasteris leading your sons of honor around, you would want to be hitting up your main man, which is King Gavilar. I mean, yeah, probably. Gavilar is a great example of a person who attached himself to this group, but kind of just for his own goals, his own reasons. And that is the impression that I get for a lot of the members of the Sons of Honor. Like, they're very, they don't have very clear goals. Everyone is kind of like, I mean, yeah, cool, I'll join this secret society because I think it will give me some street cred, right? Like, they want to wave their little blue bandana and be like, what up, ghost bloods? I'm with the Sons of Honor. But they are like, 
attempting to do all kinds of different things. Gavilar, of course, is looking for sort of secrets of the universe, trying to gain power, trying to gain mm-hmm. immortality. He's trying to learn about the the heralds in order to sort of make himself like them. Kalak is trying to use the group to figure out how to get off world. Amaram is trying to use the group to gain power and bring the Voran church back and make himself a good human, not necessarily an immortal human, but just like a powerful person in the world. And then Eli Sadius becomes part of the Sons of Honor, and she doesn't seem to really have any idea what the Sons of Honor is about. She's just like, I don't know, I'm here, I guess. But it is her who brings Amaram and the Sons of Honor into more prominence in the world, maybe moving them from a secret organization to like bringing them out where, you know, Amaram is like anointed head of the household, Mm -hmm. but is also like publicly declared part of the Sons of Honor. And so it's like, you know, Sadius family aligning themselves publicly with the Sons of Honor and clearly not working out because then Amaram turns (laughs) into a gigantic monster. He's killed by Rock. Obviously, Gavilar is killed by Zeth, who is working for the Parshendi at that yeah, time. Yeah, and we don't really have a clear answer yet as to how that came to be. We hear in Rhythm of War that I think it's Venli and maybe one other singer, they like hear a voice directing them to Zeth. And they're like, oh, cool, this guy can be our assassin. So I'm interested. What's the voice? Yeah, I'm interested to learn more about that exact situation and how that happened. Amaram, as you mentioned, is eventually killed by Rock. But before he's killed by Rock, he is attempted to be murdered twice. Once by the Skybreakers via Helleran and once by the Ghostbloods. Then he is eventually killed by Rock. Lots of people want this guy dead. He's a dick. And I think that we can all be okay with his death. Yes. Kalak obviously attempted murder by the Ghostbloods via Shalon. And then Ayali is also killed by a ghost blood agent, a.k.a. Radiant Slash Veil. So Rasteris, not only a little bit of a chaotic leader, but also a very good chance you're going to die if you go to work for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These people did not last very long. There are, however, some offshoots of this group, sort of similar to the diagram where you have a a section of people who maybe take the beliefs in a different direction. The Envisagers are actually an offshoot of the Sons of Honor, and we see this primarily through Teft and his story of his family. Mm -hmm. Teft goes on to say this, quote, All right, fine, Tef said. It was some kind of cult, you see, called the Envisagers. They, well, they thought if they could find a way to return the Voidbringers, then the Knights Radiant would return as well. Stupid, right? Only they knew things. Things they shouldn't. Things like what Kaladin can do. End quote. He will go on to talk about the, that he turned his family in, and that the City Lord, quote, held a trial for them, a big one, had them all executed in the end. Never did understand that. They were only a danger to themselves. End quote. This is what's always made me question about Teft and his background. Obviously, Teft's story ends mm-hmm. in book four. So I didn't get the big reveal that I thought was coming with these couple of lines regarding Teft's 
Invisager family background, but why the harsh treatment of the Invisagers? Was maybe the City Lord a member of the Sons of Honor and they didn't like discovering this offshoot? Oh, I don't know. I think, like he says, they're not really a danger to anyone else. I don't see the Sons of Honor necessarily feeling threatened by them. The thing that comes to mind is that at this time, the Knights Radiant were sort of frowned upon mm-hmm, because definitely. they had abandoned humanity. They were called the Lost Radiance, and like it wasn't a good. They didn't have a good reputation. So it's and the Boring so, Church who would have been the harshest people against the Invisagers. Yeah, and I think just the general populace. If you told someone, "I want to bring back the Radiance," mm-hmm. they would be like. Why? Yeah. Why would you want to do that? Those are bad people. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to come back. So a little bit of uh, Satanist vibes. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You can't say that you want Satan around. They're following the fallen ones. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way of describing it. They are following the fallen ones. Yeah. I have a question, and this has at least been thrown around on the interwebs about the order of things. Are the Sons of Honor the offshoot? Of the Invisagers or vice versa. Oh. I'm wondering because hmm, the Knights Radiant question. fell, the Invisagers could have seemingly existed right then, you know, right after the falling. There would uh-huh. have been a group that was like, no, we still like them, but we just don't understand what they did. Well, the Heralds left first, though, or, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, left. And so it seems like that would start first, that even if you had the Knights Radiant still around, you would be like... We would really love those extra superpowered humans to be here. And do we have any clear distinction between what is the goal of the Son of Honor versus the Invisager? The Sons of Honor seem to be more focused on societal change in, you know, bringing the church back to power, like mm. writ large, whereas the envisagers really seem to be more individually focused. Like Tef talks about them pretty much just existing in this cult. You know, they're all sort of together in this group. They're not going outside of their group trying to kill people to force them to manifest powers. They're only doing it within their little group. Yeah. So it seems much more contained versus the Sons of Honor, which are really trying to work on a bigger population level, going to the cognitive realm, things like that. That's an excellent point. Let's take out this little bit from Feast Night, from one of the many times we've seen Gavilar's Feast, when we actually get a description of other Sons of Honor that are meeting with him on that night. It goes like this, quote, King Gavilar himself stood pointing at something on a table surrounded by five others, two officers, two women in long dresses, and one old man in robes, end quote. This is the group of the Sons of Honor as we see them. We think that- Do we, we know that for sure? I mean, yeah, they. it is that moment referenced later by words of Brandon as like a meeting of the Sons of Honor. Mm, got it. Okay. So we can make a couple of guesses. For example, the officer- at least one of them could definitely be Could be Amram. Amram. He's always looking officer-like. You have two women in robes, so Ilale Sadius could theoretically be one, but that would be interesting at that time, you know, and working with Gavilar, that would be surprising. And then Kalak could be the old man in robes. I guess he could even be the other officer. Mm, he's not ever described as looking old. Mm-hmm. 
Not in that way. Clack is there. And he's described differently. So I don't think this is Clack. Mm, okay. So there's a couple of, you know, missing pieces, basically. We got a couple of puzzle pieces that are shaded out. And we, we don't know what they look like. Yeah. Like the old man could be an ardent, right? Trying to bring back the prominence of the Voren church. The person in robes could also be a world hopping Farukamist. Mm-hmm. The robes are not described. So they could be those characteristic Farukamist robes. Just some ideas. Lots of speculation, and I love it. Do you want to go on to our next secret organization? Of course. Next, we have the Skybreakers. This is definitely when we're starting to move from secret organization to just regular organization. (laughs) However... But they were operating in secret. There's the key point. Up until relatively recently, they existed as a hierarchical organization around Nail and were operating throughout Rashar. They're the only Order of Knights Radiant that has operated sans interruption for the whole time. And under the leadership of Nail, their goal is to prevent the desolations from beginning again by killing any and all people who start to show radiant powers. So they have sort of the opposite um opinion from the sons of honor the sons of honor think that the void bringers will start the desolations and bring back the heralds the skybreakers believe that knights radiant will bring back the desolations and therefore the void bringers such an interesting bit of a lore that sanderson has presented here with the chicken and egg the the misunderstanding of history the biases mm-hmm. of history obviously nail here as the leader of the skybreaker and kind of working directly against the goals of the sons of honor who we now know is led by kalak another herald yeah is intensely interesting the concept that they're both in this loop of desolation void bringers mm-hmm. radiance heralds fighting blah 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 and they're both trying to predict or circumvent and prevent that loop from continuing And that's really what I see so much throughout the Stormlight Archive is that this is about trauma loops and the experience of post-traumatic stress disorder, as we've talked about ad nauseum through these individual characters. But it's also shown at every level, at this level of the groups that are stuck in this concept of time existing, you know, over thousands of and thousands of years. Yeah, restarting. And so Nail looking at it as the thing that is bad in this equation are the Radiance. The Radiance are the outlier, maybe connected to the fact that what ended up weakening the Radiance of the past was the revelation that they were invaders to Rashar. Yeah, it could have something to do with the Recreants. It could have something to do with Honor no longer being around. Mm -hmm. Nail might have some sense of the power that is, you know, unchained as we keep hearing, quote unquote. Mm, And maybe trying to prevent something like that. I think any logical explanation that may have existed at one point for Nail doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Like, I think that he is at this point divested from any sort of rational reasoning by the time we meet him. Yeah. Even the earliest meetings with Yim, he represents his own unsureness, which we know is because of the insanity he's dealing with. And so he's both questioning and doing something that he doesn't fully, 
He's kind of just on autopilot. Exactly. Yeah. He's like a robot at this time. He's just like, this is what I I do. do I kill radiance. Mm -hmm. And we know per word of Brandon that throughout all of these years, having followed Nail so closely, the order of the Skybreakers is much, much more rigid and is different now than they were at one point. Because they are following that charismatic leader leading me. I don't know if I'd call him charismatic, well, okay. but I'm just using the dogmatic. Language. Sure, exactly. I'm using the language of cults, which is at the center, there can be a charismatic leader who is uniting everyone and their ideology. This is the difference maybe in some other organizations. In my opinion, the Skybreakers would be the most cult-like. Exactly. Because yeah. he is also an in a god and incredibly long-lived so you have that kind of... Sure, continuity of leadership. Yes, over long periods of time. And there is no room. There's no room for error. Mm-hmm. There's no room for other interpretation. There is no room for not following the rules and in the any way. Of death. You know, yeah. I mean, the whole definition of this group is like, you will follow these very rigidly defined rules to the letter, period. Now, we see the Skybreakers in action way before we even recognize them as Skybreakers because Helleran is the knight that is killed by Kaladin, but Helleran is on a mission to murder Amaram in the field of battle, sent by the Skybreakers, not as just part of war. Unknown if he's directly sent by the Skybreakers, but I think that that is a good Yes. Because he is a member of the Skybreakers. Yes. Of note, he is not empowered like yeah. a Sky. He's not yeah. a radiant. If anything else, if anything, he's just an acolyte. He's trying to gain the favor mm-hmm. of the Skybreakers. And this may be his test, as we know that Nail tests the acolytes, and we saw that through Zeth, that occasionally that test comes down to murder this person because they broke the law. And we are introduced kind of in this backdoor way into the philosophy of the Skybreakers, where Zeth is going in as that abnormality that he is, mm, like, yeah. the, the uniqueness that he doesn't represent everything that the Skybreakers do, but he's also our radiant in the Skybreakers. But at least now, he is also the only Skybreaker mm. on Dalinar's side in this big war. The rest of the Skybreakers are now fighting on Odium's side, the Singer's side, because they see the Singers as being the true owners of this land, and therefore they dictate the law of the land. Exactly. And that's where the ancient history and the fact that it's not ancient history to Nail, he experienced that, is so important if he is of the belief that Rashar belongs to the singers and he needs to follow the laws of the land that he is in, then again, it is that logical nature, but it also makes sense why the directive is kill radiance Mm. because the singers are the ones at threat when the radiance arrives. Like it's bad for the singers. He forgot that the singers were the native people of Rishar for a while and then, like, is reminded? Like, did he start out with the goal to kill Radiance because they are the invaders, as we found out during the Recreants? That's my speculation, is that his, 
you know, it, again, I don't love the concept of just calling them robots or like seeing them as terminators, but like uh, a programming error basically happened where he was intaking information that was conflicting and he needed to process that down into something he could understand in his broken state. And his solution was humans bad <laughs> because singers are good. And I think he would have always had to know deep down, even if he, you know, mentally forgot it because of mm -hmm. broken nature. He had to know that the humans were the invaders. There's no. You would think so. Herald. Yeah. That could exist when we know that some of the heralds directly well, they came, came from, Ashen. from Ashen. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. there's really no way. Good point. Good point. Good point. He could be confused. Yeah. But then. What does that do to a person who wants to follow rules and seemingly is closely related to the goals of honor as well, but then builds an organization around them that is based on the lie right. of you are the good guys. He knows they're not the quote unquote good guys. They might be well motivated, blah, 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 but they are. They're the, the original invaders. Exactly. Yeah. And so it creates a dichotomy, which then breaks nail. And it breaks him wow. in the same way that I think honor is broken later. I feel like this was a really good therapy session. For, for Yeah, for understanding nail. <laughs> okay. Welcome feel good to about, understanding I feel good about this. Nail. Yeah. I think it's also one little detail that I want to I wanna throw in here as well while we're talking about sort of members of the group. Shalon's mother's friend who is present and is also killed by Shalon when she is a little girl mm -hmm. is... A member of the Skybreakers. And we put a lot of speculation into the episode regarding Shalon's mother, different theories about her. One of the primary being that she is a member of the Skybreakers as well, and that Helleran was merely following in his mother's footsteps. In yeah, and there's a few different ideas about how then Helleran ends up also being part of the Skybreakers. But it's just an interesting connection for us to keep in mind. Maybe we'll get some more details about that relationship as we start to move forward. You ready to move on? Let's go to the most secretive secret organization on our list. These are the Sleepless. We don't know too much about the Sleepless. We are really only just starting to scratch the surface about this group. The most information that we got about them comes from Don Shard, which was Risen and crew visiting the cloaked in mystery, cloaked in mist, continent of Amia. We also get some information in Edge Dancer, of course, with Lyft encountering that memorable sleepless Arclo. Different sleepless. These are, there's a couple of different types of sleepless. We learn from Nick Lee that the members of the Sleepless are organized into entities called swarms. There are 24 Sleepless on Rishar currently. 20 members follow the quote-unquote first swarm, and they work together as a group. Nick Lee is a part of this group. One of the younger members. He is the youngest. Mm -hmm. Who, And that actually makes him valuable in their society because he's like good at intermingling into people world. Good with the new technology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> oh my gosh, Nickley is helping all of his great grandparents with iPhones. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's his role. They're all like, Nickley, we need you to come over and show us how to check our email. And he's like, Okay, guys, I'll be there. And then you have members like Arklo, and we assume the other ones we don't know the name of, who yeah. are around but are like their own swarms. Two different categories here. Arklo doesn't follow the first swarm. He's not super tapped into that group of 20, but he's also not considered a traitor. So, so he's happened. sort of in the in the middle. He's a mm-hmm. floater. Oh, okay. Free agent. Because then there are three other sleepless rounding out our 24 who are actively dissidents. Mm-hmm. They're actively working maybe against but definitely not with that group of 20 and probably included in that group of three is the swarm that is part of the ghost bloods spying on hoyd okay so we have probably an independent agent at least one who could be working with the ghost bloods and then two others who are the dissidents we have middle of the ground mindy sinclair Arklo. Yep. And then we have the 20 members who followed the first swarm, which includes Nickley. This is the first organization that is not human in nature. I know that some of our leaders and our charismatic are not human anymore. But the but sleepless- they at least were human at a yes, time. Exactly. The sleepless, <laughs> the sleepless I don't think have human. ever been human. Never human. And that to me makes understanding their goals or their desires, their drives to be much more difficult than any of the other groups that we've talked about so far. They definitely seemingly want to prevent destruction of the worlds. Yeah, their stated desires or goals are to protect life and to protect the destruction of worlds. However, they are not above killing the few to protect the many. Mm -hmm. So... In the trolley problem, they are definitely going to kill the one person to save the five people. I like how we've just made everything into a good place reference. Always. As we should. I think that's important to understand about them because they do have a trolley-esque problem presented to them regularly in the form of the Dawn Shard. And like, what are we going to do about these Dawn Shards? It seems like they may have been more powerful in Rashar's past maybe more capable. The Sleepless? Yes. Got it. It seems like the Sleepless may have been more powerful in the Rasharian past, more able to protect and prevent and operate powerfully, and then have needed to retreat into seclusion, losing some of their magical powers or, or technological powers, and trying to throw up like the last little bits of power that they can to protect the Dawn Shard. I think they are powerful. I don't know if I necessarily believe they've lost power. I think it's more that they are disinterested in the power struggles of humans. And so in sort of a god or demigod-like way, they are removed mm-hmm. from, you know, the sort of day-to-day goings-on because their nature and their goals are so much bigger than everything else they certainly are operating with the most mystery behind their desires and drives i think that one of the important bits of information 
that we have about the sleepless is that they actually write the book back blurbs that we did an episode on a little while ago. Yes, which is so intriguing. I am sure that we are only going to learn more and more about the sleepless as we continue on in the Cosmere because they are all across the Cosmere. They are extremely long lived and seem to have a significant interest in the goings on of the greater Cosmere, both like width wise, all of the Cosmere, mm-hmm. and also depth wise in terms of from gods all the way down to men. An interesting bit of speculation their ability to, you know, exist in a swarm might actually be helpful to understanding what it is like to exist as honor spren, as bound entities Mm. and cognitive shadows. Interesting. And therefore, they may be part of the answer of how to disconnect those chains to your spiritual homeland and help some of these characters get off. For example, we know that Hoyd eventually leaves Rashar, but we also know that having a Sprenbon binds you to the location. So he shouldn't be able to leave Rashar, but we know that he does, meaning that he figures out some way to leave Rashar. The worst case is that he has to sever that Sprenbon and we lose design. So I keep coming back to, and especially when I see these powerful characters like the Sleepless, any little bit of inclination of like, who can separate themselves? Who can who can <laughs> divide some of these uh, these bonds that exist through the three realms? And the Sleepless aren't quite there, but they're at least far more uh, unique than many of the other species that we've. I mean, they do exist on other planets, so they can world top. Exactly, but it's like, is it the whole swarm have to go? Yeah, I think I think so. Or can they send out a? I don't know if they can leave just a couple hordlings in one place. That would be super interesting. We'll have to watch and see. Second swarm from like a left behind. Is that how? You know, they like sent out a little bit and then that develops all by itself. That is my impression. I don't know if we've gotten this actually confirmed, Mm -hmm. but somewhere in my brain, it's saying that that is how they reproduce is like one from the other. Yeah, I kind of, you know, wonder if it is like a, a coral reef, you know, just kind of like it stretches over the existing rock formations and whatnot, but then occasionally like stuff gets spread around. And then it starts over there and can just like grow. It's not the same organism anymore because there's enough separation. Yeah. But it is of the same organism, of the same reef. And that type of question about the sleepless, we don't have any answer to. But they're so powerful that I think it's worthy of thinking about. Let's go on to the very last one, which is the 17th shard. 17th shard everyone's fave exactly not our good friends over at the 17th shard that's here in the real world (laughs) they are also great but they are not very secret (laughs) (laughs) at least not to us they very closely uh related 17th shard in world has been operating as one of the longest lasting cosmere wide organizations it sure seems so we don't really know what their goal is what they're trying to accomplish but we do know that they believe in non-intervention and so at least one of their goals is to find and stop hoid from intervening (laughs) which seems also like an intervention but 
That's an interesting question because it's kind of like <laughs> a, a little bit of the Disney Plus Loki series and like who's the variant? Who's the real one? Yeah, Who exactly. gets to make decisions? Apparently, they Hoyt, really think that Hoyt is the variant. Yes, they are like, you are causing problems in the timeline and we need to stop you. But that then puts them in a position of incredible power, knowing about many of the shard pools, many of the routes and the Cosmere economy that exists being the reason for a lot of the Cosmere economy. Like a lot of the passing around of energy and people is coming because of the 17th shard and going Maybe. from like different, well, you have Silverlight. We don't know that the 17th shard is necessarily strongly connected to Silverlight. Silverlight is their base of operations. So it's a location. We'll yes. Just go with. So like you have a location like Silverlight that, People are traveling to just because of the 17th shard. Not everybody, but somebody is going to Silverlight just because of the 17th shard. Sure. And that means that there is, you know, they're so big that they've also probably lost the pure secret banner, but they also still exist in the shadows and we don't know yeah. what they want. Yeah. And I think because of their goal of non-intervention, they mm-hmm. are much more on the sidelines than some of these other secret groups that we sort of spot having their hand in things. The 17th Shard might be around, but they're way more chill. Yeah, I kind of wonder if the 17th Shard and their agents are the ones who are delivering the letters between people like Frost. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. And, you know, getting all of these messages around the Cosmere. So basically, are they mailmen? Yes, they are. The Interplanetary Postal Service. (laughs) The Interplanetary Postal Service, the IPPS, getting your letters wherever they need to be. If it fits, it ships. <laughs> so now that we have either elevated the 17th shard or <laughs> demoted the 17th shard. I think that's a shard, severe demotion. <laughs> I think that they also have a scholarship bent because of our patron saint and scholar, Chrysala. I think. We don't know. Again, we don't know for sure that they are related. Chrysala is definitely in Silverlight being a scholar. I don't know that she is also a member of the 17th Shard. But it is heavily speculated. I think we just don't have enough I think about- they're very close together, but I don't know where the overlap is between those two groups. There could be a Graves conspiracy or Envisager situation going on here. Yeah, where we like just splits don't know. Together. I think what we do know is that the membership of the 17th Shard does seem to be the most diverse, which is interesting. While we cannot say that they are members, Chrysala and Nas, if confirmed to be in the future, would be representative of the planet Taldane. And then we have a bunch of other characters. Obviously, we have Galadon from Elantris, Demu and his wife Asladin from Scadriel, Baun also from Taldane, part of Chris's OG group. The retinue. Yep. And then, interestingly, Ayatel, Mraze's master, was formerly part of the 17th Shard. And she was specifically recruited by the Ghostbloods. The Ghostbloods specifically try to recruit field agents of the 17th shard which i found very interesting yeah because it kind of gives us a perspective in world about like how these secret organizations rank themselves and 
the different motivations that may attract someone to the 17th shard, seemingly for Ayatil, is enough to also attract them to the ghost bloods. Yeah. In this episode, we've kind of gone through these organizations and the order of like who we've seen the most to who we've seen mm. the least. But I think it also is sort of reverse age order. Like the 17th shard and the sleepless, I think have probably been around for longer than organizations like the diagram, mm -hmm. which I is maybe why we don't know as much about them because they're going to have much greater Cosmere significance. It certainly seems like an organization with such broad reach is going to be significant to the future of the Cosmere. And I wonder if this role of non-intervention that the 17th Shard has is a hint or a little bit of a connection to our man Harmony over on Scadriel. Interesting. He certainly seems to have a non-interventionist policy that he's dealing with personally. Yep. And we know that he has referenced the 17th Shard in the letters that he has written. So because of that connection to Harmony, because of what you mentioned about the long lifespan that is likely of the 17th Shard, because of their hatred or focus on Hoyd, I think that there is a lot more to learn about the 17th Shard and that they will be yeah. in the future of the Cosmere a lot more. So that is six secret organizations with a couple supposedly of there are nine yeah if we count maybe the envisagers as their own group mm. we're up to seven i want to throw out the possibility that the irie are also in play somewhere on rashar i don't necessarily think we've seen them but maybe they are included in that total number of nine one that we left out that may need to be more incorporated is the most secret organizations in the Voren church, like deep, deep within the bowels of the church. Who's pulling the strings there? Oh, you there? think there's like a sect that we don't know about? Yes, basically. I'm saying that, you know, there could be, that would make sense. Where If I was yeah. going to hide a secret society, where would I do it? Inside the church. Sure. And obviously this church has a lot of competing elements and these different groups that all have religious connotations, aspects, beliefs. I think that we might be missing something going on in the Voren church specifically. My only other speculation for a possible one is like, what about the Shin? The mm. Shin are kind of secret. They have, you know, mm, I knowledge don't think that, that nobody counts else has. The secret organization. But they they might have one within the society. Might. They like might. There, there might be a Shin specific in the same way the sleepless have kind of a secret yeah. society going on those are our speculations you can definitely reach out on all of the different social media let us know about other secret organizations that are operating on rashar let's go over a couple of programming notes a couple of updates number one always available to join the patreon where there are some extra special bonus episodes going on right now for our Lightbringer reread series. It's going great. Yeah, we've gotten so much positive feedback, and it's been so fun to have this other great series to dive into and talk about. So definitely check that out. Also, because you might miss us. This is going to be our 
last podcast episode until we come back uh, after the summer for a lead up series to the release of The Lost Metal. So hit us up with episode ideas, what kinds of episodes you'd like to hear before we get the next Wax and Wayne book. We've already got some ideas that we'll be working on during our break, but we always love hearing from you guys. If you miss us over our summer break, then join us on Patreon, find a bunch of new books to read, listen to our dulcet tones. We will be taking our summer break to do a bunch of rereading of Mistborn Era 2, and let's be honest, probably Mistborn Era 1 as well. And that amount of reading takes time. It takes dedication. And that's what we want to bring to you as much as possible. When we come back, we will be ramping up for the Lost Metal. And until that time, we would love if you take a moment to rate us, review us on any of your different podcast applications iTunes is great. A lot of people use it. And we don't ask for rates and reviews all the time. But during the summer month, it is great because it's also our birthday. So throw us a birthday review. Our birthdays are coming up. If you would like to get us a gift, please just hit the five stars wherever the stars are shown. We hope that you all have a very enjoyable and safe summer months. And we shall return at the end of the Sandersonian drought for another Mistborn book that awaits us. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.